there's a TV show called Idols. How many of you know? How many of you know it? Okay, how many of you are fans? Come on, let's be honest. We are in church. I'm a big fan. I'm a big fan. And I really hope that Vincent Bones wins it this year. That was for free. I had a story the other day of a man who was struggling with a drinking problem. So he was an alcoholic and he was struggling with, with a, 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 the fact that every day when he leaves and he comes back from work, he was using the train and he would go into a shabin and he would drink himself to a position of drunkenness and then he will go home stumbling and getting home and that was his daily routine so you can imagine if you are married to such a guy the only time you when you see him is drunk when he comes back from work so the quality of life the children the only thing they knew about their father was their father was a drunk and then this man decided i've got to change the situation how many of you have been there where, where you, you find yourself in a place where something is a problem. But until you decide this is a problem, that thing will never change. People can tell you, you have a problem. You're like, what problem? I don't have a problem. But until you decide you've got a problem, that thing will never change. And this man decided, I've got to change my life. I've got to change my situation. I can't live like this anymore. And so he decided, okay, to change the situation, what I'm going to do is... The day that I'm going to come off the train and I'm going to pass the Shabin and not go in, I'll know that I have victory. So one day he gathered up enough strength. He came out of the train and he walked, he saw the Shabin, he said, Baba, it's Shabin. And he walked past and he just realized, oh, I've just had some victory today. And then he looked back, he says, I should go and get two so I can celebrate. So our walk with God is a walk of freedom. God has not called you to, free, to, to, to bondage. He has called you to freedom. And when God sets you free, the Bible says whom the Son sets free, he is free indeed. God wants you to be free and walk free and live free. It is not enough to say, to lift up your hand and come on a Sunday and say, oh, I feel holy, holy, holy. And then next day, you go back to the same life. I had an encounter, a meeting with a guy who was telling me the other day that, you know, um, he, he found himself under pressure. Things were, going, were not going right with him. He, things were, were, were really tough. And then he says, you know, I have to confess because when these things happened, I began to step back to my old ways. Anybody ever been there? Don't lift up your hand, please. But you see, God has come so that we can be free. To live a life of what? Of freedom, friends. He wants to set us free. So Israel had that, that kind of a relationship with God. God's people, God brought them out of Egypt, out of slavery. You know, Egypt is a place that represents the past. It represents slavery. It represents bondage. And God brought them out of that place with a mighty hand. They sinned mighty miracles. They've seen the hand of God, provision in the wilderness, manna from heaven. But yet every time they were in a corner, every time they found themselves under pressure, they would go back and think about Egypt. 
And Israel had that kind of a relationship with God. One minute God is God, the next minute they're serving other idols. They're serving other gods. They forget who God was. Friends, our relationship with God is determined by our revelation of who God is. So if I know God, if I know who he is, then my relationship with him will determine how I live. You see, the problem, the challenge with believers is that we don't have, many of us has, have a second-hand relationship with God. We listen to preachers on TV. We hear what they tell about us, about who they say God is. We don't have a personal relationship with God. We pick up what people say about God, but yet we don't know him personally. You see, it is impossible to have a meaningful relationship with someone if you do not communicate with him. How do I know this? I'm married to this beautiful Palisa for 11 years. So I know that it is impossible for me to have a meaningful relationship with my wife if I do not communicate. How many wives know this? So if I find that my relationship with my wife is, a bit, is, is having a bit of a struggle, I will realize that there's something that I'm not doing right. There's some things I'm not communicating. We are missing each other here because we are not one-on-one. -on -one. We, we are not hearing each other. You can't have a meaningful relationship with God unless you walk with God as a personal God. You know, so, so my wife's uh, love language, Baba, it's in the TV, you know? You know, the people who know stuff, they tell us there's love languages. So my wife's love language is words of affirmation. So that's how she, she gets to know that. So that's how I need to communicate with her. That's how she gets to know who I am to her. So if, if, if I'm not communicating with her, she'll begin to ask me questions like, do you still love me? And I'm like, um, yes, of course I still love you. How many husbands have been there before? Am I alone here? Or do we, do we have only holy husbands here? Who never make mistakes. Who never forget to tell their wives that they, are, they love them. Yo, I'm, I'm on my own. So I, I need to be able to sit. She loves that attention. I need to be able to say to her, you know, you are beautiful. You are the best thing that's ever happened to me. Blah, 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 blah. And she'll be looking at me. She's like, is it? You see, you look at, I look at her in the eyes and her eyes light up. Because that's how she gets to understand communication. So this is how I communicate my love for her. And that's how she gets to connect with me. Are you there, friends? So there are many of us who are having a second-hand relationship with God. So we've got, to, we've got to know that God is a personal God. We've got to know Him for ourselves. God reveals Himself through the Word of God. He says, come spend time with me. Come and know me. Come, come, and, come and find out about me. And, and the first verse in the Bible, when you, when you open your Bible, there's a verse that says this. How many of you know it? Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. In the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. God created the heavens and the earth. God, you know what is amazing about this verse? God, God does not try and explain himself 
away. He, he doesn't say, okay guys, because you are human beings, the only way you know things you want to first, I must first make you understand it. You see, our relationship with God is a spiritual relationship. It's not an intellectual relationship. If you're going to walk with God and try to understand him, you're going to be in trouble because you'll never understand God. You cannot fathom the big word in English. You cannot fathom, you cannot understand the ways of God. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. You cannot walk with God with that mind of trying to understand who God is. We can try, but we'll never understand God. Our relationship with him is what? Is a spiritual relationship. So the Bible says, in the beginning, God. So God doesn't say, you know what? Let me explain to you. Before you guys became, this is where I was, this is who I am, and this is how I came to be. If you speak to an atheist, you'll, you'll realize one of the questions they will ask you is, where does God come from? Well, God doesn't tell us where he comes from. All he says that in the beginning, God. He doesn't ask you to understand it. He doesn't ask you to believe it. All he's saying is to you, in the beginning, God. It is up to you to say, okay, I believe what God is saying. In the beginning, God. He says he created the heavens and the earth. He created it. And that word creator, it means he brought everything into existence. It's a Hebrew word called bara, which means to bring things into existence or to create. There was nothing there. There was nothing. There was absolutely nothing. And God put it together and brought it into being. He created it. And so, let's go to um, Exodus 20. With the same understanding. The Bible says, And God spoke all these words. I am the Lord, your God. Come on. God wants to have a personal relationship with you. He is not the Lord, the, your mother's God. He is not the Lord, your father's God. He is the Lord, your God. You've got to know God for yourself. He's not your husband's God. You don't get to heaven through your husband's prayers. Your pr His prayers might help you along. <laughs> but you've got to know God for yourself. He's a personal God. He says, I'm the Lord you're what? You're God. He says, in case you are confused, I'm the God who brought you out of Egypt. You see, there are many of us who think we are where we are because we came here by ourselves. You think you, you, do you think that you are clever enough to be where you are? Do you think that you are rich enough to be where you are? Not really. God brought you where you are. It wasn't because of your own uh, uh, doing. There are many of us, uh, and many people can relate, who come from a place uh, where the situation was impossible. Nobody gave you a chance. Now, now, it didn't look like you would get anywhere in life. But God came into that situation and brought you out of Egypt. Now that you are where you are today, you want to say it's you who brought yourself there. God says, no, 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 no. You didn't do it by yourself. It was God's grace that enabled you to be where you are today. You didn't work for it. You cannot boast about it. God allowed you 
to be where you are today by his grace. And then he continues to say, you shall have no other gods before me. Someone say, no other gods. You will have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol in any form of anything in heaven or on earth, beneath or below the waters. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord, your God, you see, God makes a point here. He wants you to make, to understand that he is a personal God. You've got to know him for yourself. He says, I'm a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of their fathers to the third and fourth generation, for those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. Here's the thing about idolatry. Idolatry is a sin that is very subtle. There could be many of us who are trapped today, sitting here in this church, lifting up our hands and singing in Kazimulo, in Kazimulo. But we have, we are dealing, we are caught in the sin of idolatry. And the problem with the sin of idolatry is this, is that nobody can see it. And it's dangerous, it's deadly. It's a very deadly sin. In the book of Psalm 106, the Bible says this. They worship their idols and their idols became a snare to them. Their idols became what? A snare to them. So you might be sitting there and thinking, I don't have any idols. There's no Buddha in my house. <laughs> There's no shrine in my house. There's nothing that I, I, I have there that, that is an idol. But you see, an idol is anything that takes the place of God in your life. Anything that elevates yourself to a place of devotion where your devotion should be given to God and that thing takes away that devotion. You begin to worship this thing instead of worship the creator who created the thing. So there are many of us who wake up on a Monday morning pushing the dollar. Brother, ahulu, ahuruwalu, 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 ntate, ripusha dollar. Excuse me. You wake up in the morning. You push in the dollar. You're going after the money. Money has become your idol. You, why do you work? You work because you know, you know, we've got to make money in that. We've got to make money in that. Money has become your idol. In the process, your family is left behind. Your marriage is left behind. Your friends are left behind. The church is left behind because you are pushing your idol. How about your children? For some of us, our children are our idols. I was dealing with a situation the other day where a marriage was at the brink of breaking down because the wife would not let go. The, the child was an idol. She was even forgetting the fact that I have a husband who I need to take care of. When there's strife in the house between the husband, the child is the main thing. The, the child is an idol. I, I can't do this. People must understand. This is for my child. The child has become the idol. You know, sometimes the blessings that God gives us, the material and the physical blessings can become an idol. You know, you've been praying, God, give me children. Give me children, God. Give me children. And you get a child and you say, hey, Murut, I can't come to church. You know, you know, you must understand we have children. 
this Muruti, his kids, his kids are still small, so he doesn't understand. The children now start taking your devotion away from God. The children now become the focus, and God is not the focus. Your devotion is now to the to the kids rather than to God. How about your husband? <laughs> People around us can become idols. People we love can become idols. One guy had his dad as an idol. And I said to him, this is what the Bible says about what a husband should be and do when he is a husband. And he was, he, he, he was trying so much to justify his actions to keep his father where his father is. His father had become an idol. His father could dictate what happens in his house. If his father says yes, he jumps. He does what the father says. The father has become an idol. Am I helping somebody? How about your house? Hey, How about your house, friends? That house. That car. Could it be possible that it's an idol? One man said to me, you see this car here, standing outside, said to me, said it proudly. See this car standing outside. This This is the thing that makes me wake up in the morning. Because if I don't work and and pay for this car, I'm going to lose it. See, the car had become the focus of his existence. The car had become an idol. Have you met people like that? Even when you come to their house and you sit on their white couch, they say, "Uh, um, let me put a cloth there. (laughs) They begin to worship things, created things rather than God himself. Our worship, our devotion have been focused on things rather than on God who is the creator of the heaven. And the problem, as I said earlier, is that you can't see these things. But yet they are a snare to us. You, you, you have to wake up at 2 o'clock in the morning and go and look for money so you can pay the car. This has become an idol. This has become a snare. You can't live a free and happy life because you have an idol. And God wants us to live a life of freedom, friends. Freedom. Be free from idols. So the question is, do you get more excited about things rather than God? Do you get more excited about what you have rather than God? Do you get excited about the kingdom things or outward appearance? You know, the Bible speaks about Adam and Eve. They had a relationship with God. Do you know that Adam and Eve had a relationship with God before they were even clothed? The Bible says they used to walk around the garden naked. Naked. You know, God, God is not surprised by anything. He knows you. 
That's why, that's why a jacket, you can't say, no, 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 let me wear a jacket so I, I can go and pray and speak to God. What, say what? God knows you in and out. Muriti God knows who you are. It's only when they sinned, they started hiding. And God says to them, Adam, where are you? And this guy is hiding behind the tree and said, why are you hiding? <laughs> why are you hiding? Because I know, who, I know who you are. I know I've seen you. Why, why are you hiding? So we need a high view of God, friends. Let me share with you some seven things very quickly. Seven things. In order for us to, to understand that the, the challenge that we have as believers, sometimes it's we, because we are material in our thinking, we, 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 I want to see it. I want to see it. And even when I pray, I, I pray, but I'm thinking, while I'm praying, I'm thinking, what's the plan? What's the plan B? What if God doesn't come through? That's how we relate with God. Because we, we, we are material. We, we want to see it. We want to touch it. And our relationship with God is a spiritual one. And when we understand who God is, it will change how we relate with him. It will transform our thinking. It will transform our lives and how we live. Number one is this. God is self-existent. What does that mean? It means God does not owe his existence to anything or to anyone. God doesn't need you to be God. In fact, the Bible says, the psalmist writes and says, man's days on earth are 70 days. And if he's strong, 80 days. And it's over. His days pass like this. And you're gone. Before you, there was people. After you, there are people. But God has always been. God doesn't need you. You know, sometimes, some of us, we think that God needs us. We live like, you know, if I don't go to church, you know, yeah, they need me. They, they need me. You, my friend, God exists with or without you. You cannot make God any more God than he already is. He is God with or without you. He remains God. You can, you can go hang yourself in the tree. God will remain God. You decide to live like a fool and say there is no God. God will still remain God. You will commit your life to him. God will still remain God. He doesn't change because we make him better than he already is. He is self-existent. He doesn't need us to be God. But yet, for his own, by his own design and wisdom, he decided he wants to share himself with us. Isn't God good? Number two, God is self-sufficient. In other words, he has all things and lacks nothing. So you, you, even when it's, when it's offering time, Ausfila, even when it's offering time, when you give, you cannot make God more rich than he already is. God doesn't need anything to be more God than he already is. <laughs> Even when you serve him, 
God remains God. He is self-sufficient. He lacks absolutely nothing. Even when we lift up our hands in worship, God remains self-sufficient. Number three, God is what? He's sovereign. He's sovereign. In other words, he is a supreme ruler. He, is possess- he's, uh, he possesses absolute power. So, in other words, God, God is in charge. He's in charge. You can relax knowing that God is in charge. He's in charge of your situation. He's in charge of your circumstances. He's in charge of your life. He's in charge. Your life might look like it's in, it's in a place of turmoil right now, but God is in charge. God is in charge. Even though things look like impossible, but God is still in charge. He's not surprised. He doesn't get to tomorrow. When you discover that you don't have a job tomorrow, God is still in charge. He was waiting, knowing that tomorrow you might not have a job, but God is still in charge. He's a sovereign ruler. When you grow up without parents, God was still in charge. Look at you now. Look at you now. Didn't you come turn out better than you thought? Because God is sovereign. God is in charge. He's in finite number four. In other words, he's unlimited by time and space. He was revealed to John in the island of Patmos. A man who didn't even have eyes. Jesus comes to him and says, I am the beginning, I am the end. I'm the alpha and I'm the omega. He's there in the beginning, he's there in the end. And God was trying to help us because, you know, we want to see the beginning. We want to talk about the beginning and the end. But God already knows what is the beginning. God already knows what is the end. He's infinite or infinite, those who speak English. I did uh, DET education. As one preacher used to say, don't educate them. DET. God is omnipotent. It means he's almighty. There's nothing God cannot do. You see, when you pray to a God like that, then you are free. Because you know there's nothing God cannot do. God is revealed to Mary. And Mary, God says to, an angel says, Mary, you will be with child. And Mary says, how can this be? I've never been with a man. And the angel says, you have never met God. That's the problem. The the, the thing is, you've got to understand the revelation of God is, he is able, nothing is impossible with God. He is almighty. Your situation might look impossible, but God is almighty. He's omnipotent. That's where we get the word potential from. He is able to do anything he wants to do. Nothing will stop God if he wants to do something. As Ntatemutipe was saying earlier, and he's your father. Can you, can you imagine having a father like that? You know, like my, my sons, they think I can do anything. I mean, they believe this guy, if I say buy this, they will buy, he will buy it. Nothing is impossible with my father. So 
So we like taking long drives. And he will see a Ferrari. Shoo, a Ferrari. So why don't you buy a Ferrari? And you know, because I'm a man of faith and I want to be careful what I say to my children. I can't say to him, I'll never buy a Ferrari. Because then I'm speaking against faith, right? Or Ganjan Bazalwan. Not am I only, I'm the only one here. So I have to teach my children that God is able. I can't say it's not possible. I mean, I mean, said to me, uh, we need to go to Disneyland. You know, this Disney Junior is a problem. So now he wants to go to Disneyland. And I'm thinking, Disneyland, four people, America, playing Disneyland. Ish. I can't say, we're not going to Disneyland. I say, we'll go there, my son. We'll go there. God will, we'll, we'll, we'll go there. We'll go there. Friends, where does that come from? Because God is able. We cannot treat God like he's not able. Are you in an impossible situation right now? God is able. He's omniscient. That means he's all-knowing. He knows everything. <laughs> There's nothing he doesn't know. That's why Jesus said to, 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 to his disciples, he said, when you pray, don't speak like hypocrites, you know. Don't go and bubble and repeat words and repeat words and repeat words like your father doesn't know. He knows what you need even before you ask. But I like what he says. He says then, seek first the kingdom of God. These things cannot be idols. Things, stuff, stuff, stuff cannot be idols. Stuff cannot be the focus. Being rich and a Ferrari and going to Disneyland cannot be the focus. The focus has to be God. God knows everything. He knows everything. Number seven. And lastly, God is omnipresent. It means he's present everywhere at the same time. <laughs> Your mother might be sick in KZN right now. God is there. You might not know where your child is right now. God is there. You might not know what the situation is. God is there. He's present everywhere. He's here right now. He's in Zimbabwe right now. He can change that situation in Zimbabwe right now. And that is prophetic. You, he can change that situation in Zimbabwe right now. Because God is able. He's present everywhere. Nothing is impossible with God. And therefore, friends, what is our response to God this morning? It is not about the stuff that takes away our devotion. We've got to turn ourselves around because we know who this God is. We understand who this God is. And therefore, because he is God, he is the almighty, he is the omnipresent, omnipotent, the able God, a God who, 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 who is amazing, the almighty. We have to change the way we live. 
and put God in the right place where he's supposed to. Can you stand with me?